But if no one among us is capable of governing himself, then who among us has the capacity to govern someone else? Hello, hardworking Americans. Thanks for tuning into the Shrewsbury Show. You are listening to 93.3 FM WTRH Ramsey. Today we're going to talk about judicial activists that like to legislate from the bench and everybody's favorite subject, immigration. David Harsani, um, he's a senior editor over at The Federalist, wrote an article in The Federalist recently, and essentially he has concluded, and rightly so, that Christians will not be able to exercise their freedom of religion as they see fit until the Supreme Court rules in their favor at some point. And you undoubtedly remember Jack Phillips, you know, the owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, the guy who's been slapped with lawsuits because he's Christian. Well, he was sued a third time for refusing to make a cake on religious grounds. And from what I can tell, based on the article from the Christian Post, this is a classic case of harassment. It's not enough for these people to win. They have to punish people for their beliefs until they give in and make an example out of anyone who dares defy the social winds of the day. Phillips is being sued for refusing to make a cake for a man named Autumn Scardina who wanted a birthday cake to celebrate his transition from male to female with a cake that was blue on the outside and pink on the inside. See, Christians must sanction a lifestyle that is contrary to what God has stated in his word or be slapped with endless lawsuits. The irony in this situation, as David Harsani said, is that the courts, the Supreme Court included, legislate from the bench, and we have to wait for the Supreme Court to legislate from the bench again to exercise our First Amendment rights to exercise our faith publicly. Am I missing something here? I mean, I don't understand why there is so much confusion and so much dishonesty surrounding the First Amendment to the Constitution. There is nothing in the Constitution that says you cannot exercise your faith publicly. There is nothing that says that you have to be compelled to express something that you don't believe. And the only thing that the First Amendment says about what you cannot do is not actually even about what we the people can't do. It's about what government cannot do. Read your Constitution, people. Read the First Amendment. It says clearly in there that Congress shall make no law establishing a religion. What they mean there is that we cannot have the government establishing a state religion run by the state and that everybody in the country is then conscripted, basically, to follow. Let's talk about why the courts legislate from the bench. The trend among these judicial activists is that they are mostly left-leaning judges, usually appointed by liberal presidents. They dominate the courts with their ideology, and they've done so for quite some time now. The left figured out a long time ago that there is no national popular mandate for any of the things that they want, so they cannot do what anyone else in a constitutional representative republic would do, run for office and pass legislation for what they want. That would require convincing a majority of people in districts across the nation to get on board with the psychosis of leftist ideology. Instead, it is much easier to convince a few people in black robes of their ideas, and that way they can rule by judicial fiat. That's why we saw the complete circus that we did with the Kavanaugh nomination. 
just as an aside, it is also worth noting that a lot of these 2020 presidential candidates have confirmed that they are not opposed to pretty much stacking the Supreme Court. What they want to do is add 10 more justices. That way they can weigh the court down with liberal voices and the conservative voices will be drowned out forever. This is all because they're absolutely terrified that they're not going to be able to continue to push their agenda on the rest of the American public. Former Hillary Clinton Press Secretary Brian Fallon said, We strongly believe that reforming the court, especially by expanding it, is the cornerstone for rebuilding American democracy. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're out there in the open admitting, hey, we govern using the courts. We don't use legislation. Legislation? What's legislation? Let's review some of the most well-known cases of judicial activism. Roe v. Wade is the first major case that comes to mind at the moment, and I guess the most recent one would be Obergefell v. Hodges, as far as the Supreme Court is concerned. The courts have all but decided that any case involving homosexual orientation or transgender people automatically becomes cases of discrimination, and not business owners or public servants or what have you exercising their First Amendment right to exercise their faith. Apparently, the First Amendment takes a back seat to fabricated constitutional rights. But thankfully, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Jack Phillips' right to exercise his Christian faith in Masterpiece Cake Shop v. Colorado Civil Rights Commission. But this case is an anomaly in a long line of judicial activism. A major credit here to Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review for my research on this subject. Just recently... In May, Judge Mark Walker of the Northern District of Florida, an Obama appointee, ruled that half the counties in Florida must provide Spanish-language ballots with extensive bilingual assistance, marketing, and advertisement throughout the entire election process. Judge Walker ordered the Florida Secretary of State to hire bilingual staff to do this. And how many times have the courts, often the Ninth Circuit, struck down, or issued nationwide injunctions on President Trump's executive orders. Let's not forget the first one of the Trump administration, the travel ban on countries that are terrorist hotbeds. Now, I realize that President Trump is the chief of the executive branch, not the legislative branch. But he did run for office, and he did campaign on immigration reform, and he was elected on this basis. So there is a popular mandate for the executive orders of President Trump. And not only that, he does not create legislation from the executive branch out of whole cloth. He does these things based on existing legislation. It is entirely constitutional and entirely legal. So these court objections really have no legal standing. This is not the system of checks and balances when the president is perfectly within his constitutional and legal authority to act as he does. Federal district judges have blocked Trump's executive actions at least 30 times since he took office. In addition to blocking Trump's travel ban, they challenged the administration's policy of extreme vetting of immigrants from countries labeled failed states, denying funding to sanctuary cities who refuse to enforce federal immigration law because apparently now these cities have discovered federalism and they're independent of the federal government. 
Everybody has to do what the federal government says at all times, except when it's inconvenient for our political agenda and tightening the asylum process for illegal aliens. These are just a few, but those are some pretty major items to block. Why does this matter? And what major issues have been affected by judicial activists? Well, immigration for one. We have a mega crisis right now at the southern border, due in part to the activism of a federal district judge by the name of Judge Haywood S. Gilliam Jr., temporarily blocking Trump's plan to build the wall using funding already appropriated to the Department of Defense and moving it around within the government to fund the wall. This judge ruled, based on predictable lawsuits brought by the Sierra Club and the Southern Border Communities Coalition. These are not just typical illegal aliens that are trying to come into our country at our southern border. In the fall of 2018, Guatemalan President Jimmy Morales announced that they had arrested 100 people that are, quote, highly linked to terrorist groups, specifically ISIS. Why should arrests in Guatemala matter? Because Guatemala is both a hotbed for human trafficking and drug smuggling, as well as a part of the route to the U.S. for ISIS and other terrorist groups who want to exploit our poorest southern border and the caravans of thousands of people that are ambushing us on a daily basis. With thousands of migrants ambushing the southern border on a daily basis, unless Guatemala or other Central American countries discover these people along the way, it's so easy for terrorists to slip in among migrant groups. MS-13 has done it, so what's to stop a terrorist? We've also seen formerly eradicated or controlled diseases show up in these massive migrant caravans in the last 8 to 10 months. These diseases include things like chickenpox, scabies, tuberculosis, lice, measles, and the mumps. There was an outbreak of 46 cases of mumps in Hidalgo County, Texas, likely due to the fact that Hidalgo County is the entry point for the most illegal aliens along the southern border. Because the government is so horribly inept at virtually everything it does outside of taxes and the military, U.S. Air Force veteran Brian Colfage, a man with a lot of moxie and who served in Operation Iraqi Freedom, started a nonprofit in December 2018 for American citizens to fund the wall. The group has raised over $23 million and they began construction at the end of May of this year. The wall in Sunland Park, New Mexico is now complete. They will keep building the wall as long as they have the funding. So if you would like to donate to We Build the Wall, you can donate online at webuildthewall.us or mail a check to We Build the Wall, Inc., P.O. Box 131567, Houston, Texas, 77219. That's We Build the Wall, Inc., P.O. Box 131567, Houston, Texas, 77219. This was the major issue of the 2016 campaign, and it will likely be a major issue again in 2020. So keep an eye on this and get out there and vote. Pay special attention to judicial elections, especially if you are a conservative in a liberal district. Be vigilant and well-informed voters. Encourage everyone you know to do the same. In a fortunate twist of events, 
Trump's threats of 5% tariffs that would increase monthly until Mexico actually did something about the migrant crisis at the border, they worked because Mexico is now sending 6,000 of its National Guard soldiers throughout the country and to their southern border to stop the flow of migrants from other Central American countries. And Mexico is also going to make a more concerted effort to dismantle human smuggling and trafficking organizations. The Dems want to count illegal aliens in the census by having the government conduct the census based on the number of residents in a district instead of the number of eligible voters. Not only does this disenfranchise U.S. citizens by weakening their vote, but this is part of a sinister effort to transform the Electoral College. The left wants to be able to increase the number of electors in heavily populated areas in order to be able to stack the electoral votes for president in their favor. Because illegal aliens tend to be concentrated in heavily Democratic areas, counting illegal aliens in the census works to their advantage. Daniel Horowitz, back over at Conservative Review, says in his book, Stolen Sovereignty, counting illegals in the census gives California an extra five seats in the House, with New York and Washington cashing in on one extra seat apiece, while solid Republican Texas gains an extra two seats and GOP-leaning Florida picks up one extra seat, it's very likely that due to the geographical distribution of the illegal immigrant population in those states, Democrats benefit from those seats as well. This theoretically gives Democrats a seven-seat advantage. Even more disconcerting, the artificially inflated number of House seats on net in blue states could tilt the presidential election to Democrats as well. Republicans are already at a disadvantage and are facing an increasingly narrow path to victory, thanks in large part to the border immigration problems already discussed. According to an analysis by Politico in 2015, illegals could very plausibly deny Republicans the 270 vote majority they need in the Electoral College to win the presidency by giving Democrats a net gain of four electors. Four electoral votes might not sound like a lot, but it will very likely require Republicans to win an entire additional state in order to win back the White House. Remember, this was written in 2016, but the 2020 election is coming up, and we are again having a discussion about counting illegal aliens in the census, presumably because Democrats want the advantage in 2020. And at a time when the demographic time bomb forces them to walk a tightrope in achieving the magic number of 270. When they lose by the current rules, they don't try to do better next time. They just change the rules. The tyranny of this is that it silences the voices of millions of Americans and disenfranchises us. We elect the House and Senate to write the law of the land, and when judges start legislating, there is virtually nothing that we can do about it. Until we elect a president who shares our ideology, which doesn't happen very often, by the way, and nominate judges who do the same, assuming that they're judges who don't start out as constitutionalists and just turn into big, squishy disappointments and change or overturn activist adjudication. We can see light at the end of the tunnel, though, because, hold on to your hats, Trump has appointed enough judges to fill almost half the seats in the Ninth Circuit. Yes, the circus may be leaving town soon. 
for now, we can sleep a little easier because Trump has confirmed 100 judges to the federal courts. He has appointed and confirmed 61 district court judges, 37 circuit court judges, and two Supreme Court judges. When Trump gets reelected in 2020, he will have the chance to potentially fill about 100 more judge seats. Can you imagine how this will reshape the course for at least a generation? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've ever had an opportunity like this before. You know, when Trump got elected, I said to myself, you know, God is starting some serious work. God always finishes what he starts. And I believe that he started the transformation of this country when Trump won against all odds, including the unconstitutional shenanigans of the Obama administration and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Think about all the opposition Trump faces on a daily basis and all the countless efforts the opposition has made for Trump to lose the election and now to get him out of office. Not one single trick out of the myriad of plethoras of tricks have succeeded. This reminds me of the book of Acts chapter 5 in the early days of the church when Peter and the apostles were preaching the gospel in the temple and healing the sick. The Sadducees were jealous and had them arrested. An angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and let Peter and the apostles out. They were quietly arrested again and quietly because the Sadducees were afraid that the people would kill them if they tried to treat the apostles roughly. When the Sadducees brought Peter and the apostles before the council, the testimony of these men infuriated the Sadducees and they wanted the apostles killed. Listen to what happened next in verses 33 through 42. At this, The high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member had a different perspective. He was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert on religious law and was very popular with the people. He stood up and ordered that the apostles be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he addressed his colleagues as follows. Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Theudas who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got some people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. If they are teaching and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Now, I know this is a lot of scripture at once, but think about how this situation is like what we're seeing with Trump right now. People have tried to stop him multiple times and tried to make an example of him to future candidates with ideas like his to say, don't even try it because this is what's going to happen to you. But none of it has worked. They have figuratively arrested him many times. And each time the angel of the Lord has let him out of jail. They insult him and threaten him. And yet he plows through and he keeps going. Nothing has taken him down. He has more support than we realize and his supporters do not abandon him. Try as they might. If it is God's will that Trump be president, there is nothing these people can do to take him down. I obviously do not believe that Trump is the Messiah. 
But I do believe that God has appointed him at this moment in time in this country's history to do what he is doing, to allow God to use him as a vessel to redirect this country. Even though it seems like we keep taking one step forward and two steps back, things are changing for the better. God works slowly and invisibly. He doesn't do everything at once. This has been the Shrewsbury Show, and you are listening to 93.3 FM WTRH Ramsey. Tune in next time for more.